Okay, let's pray. We're in Matthew 26, verses 30 through 46. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for Matthew's account of um, the story of Jesus and, and his life. Lord, we thank you how he uh, builds a strong case to the Jewish people, uh, which authenticates Jesus as the Messiah. And Lord, as we approach uh, the cross, as we inch forward sort of uh, week by week here, Lord, as we get closer to the end of this this gospel, Lord, I pray that you would impress upon our hearts the, the magnitude of what Christ went through for us. Lord, it's so easy um, to think that what he did was a free gift and to think that it wasn't a big deal. And so, Lord, I pray that you would... Um, just guard our hearts and our minds from thinking that this wasn't really that big of a deal, but that we would get a glimpse of the magnitude, a glimpse of the the pressure that Jesus faced heading to the cross. And Lord, as we go through this section of scripture today, we ask that your spirit would guide us, that your spirit would illuminate the meaning of the text. May you help me to teach it and to help it just to come alive and to be real to us. Uh, We are grateful, Lord, for this day, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Matthew 26, verse 30. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you that this very night before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. All the disciples said the same thing too. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little bit beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, So you could not keep watch with me for one hour. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, 
and the son of man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Father, we do thank you for your word. We ask that you would help us now. In Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, so verse 30 here. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. To sort of, this is a, a transitional section this, this, uh, to, to sort of get our bearings correct. This is the night of the Passover. Um, they had gone from, or the story moved from Bethany, which is two miles east of Jerusalem, Back to Jerusalem, they had gone, they prepared a, a Passover meal. We don't know where this was in Jerusalem, but they're there. Um, they'd had their meal. Jesus moved the Passover meal um, from reflecting on the Passover to sort of initiating or instituting the Lord's Supper. He was saying that this memorial that was done uh, to remember God's hand uh, guiding the people out of Egypt was now a memorial to, to signify Christ broken body and his blood that was shed um, for them, for us. Uh, at some point in the evening, Judas, who had already betrayed Jesus, has, has left them. And now the 11 of them and Jesus leave the room. Uh, we're told that they sang a hymn, probably one of the Hillel songs. Some suggest Psalm 118, although we don't know. Um, and they depart from Jerusalem, making their way to the east, to the Mount of Olives. Now you would go down the hill, and at the bottom of the hill is the Kedron Valley, and sort of at the base of the Mount of Olives is um, the location Gethsemane. Uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, verses 31 through 35 are verses. It's, the story is moving along. It's easy when we see Jesus communicating that we get in our minds that they were sitting at a classroom desk and Jesus is sort of teaching them, but... The reality is, is this is a, this is a movement. They're, they're, they're moving about a mile. Uh, we know the setting. We know that it's nighttime. We don't know the weather conditions. Um, spring was probably sort of cold and crisp as they departed. We know that it was a full moon because it was the Passover. And so they're making their way through the city uh, to a garden. And Jesus begins to share with them. He, he, he basically quotes or he's leading up to Zechariah chapter 13 verse 7 and he tells them in verse 31 you will all fall away because of me this night for it is written he says tonight as things unfold you guys are all going to scatter and the reason that this is going to happen is because in Zechariah chapter 13 verse 7 it says I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered so Jesus said, this has been prophesied. As things develop here, I'm going to be taken down. And you guys are all going to scatter. You're going to go your separate ways. You remove, you remove the shepherd from the sheep. The sheep are sort of lost. Jesus is saying this matter-of-factly. He's not having a conversation with them. Uh, things are going to begin moving here very quickly. Uh, Jesus is no longer going to be there to be sort of an influence on them. And he's telling them what's about to happen. Peter hears this and I love Peter. We haven't heard from him in a while. Like he, you know, I think back today's very similar to Matthew 16 when Jesus tells them that uh, we're told that it, from that point forward up at Caesarea Philippi, the very Northern Northeastern part of Israel, um, 
that Jesus begins explaining that he is going to make it his way down to Jerusalem and there he'll be crucified. And Peter says, Oh, never Jesus. And remember Jesus says, Oh, get behind me, Satan. And so Peter's about to speak again. I love the guy all full of zeal and zest. And he, he basically looks at Jesus and he says, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. I'm trying to imagine this scene. There's 11 of them. Jesus is talking, not having a discussion with them for the sake of looking for sort of feedback, like, hey, let's try to get out of this. He says, this is what's going to happen tonight. Peter then looks at the other 10 and says, I don't care if all these guys turn their backs on you, not me. I'll never fall away. That is like an arrogant, prideful sort of, Dude, do you have any idea what's about to unfold here? The closest thing I can, in my personal experience, where I, like I've encountered this sort of personality, is as a former Navy SEAL, often I get an email or a text or somebody saying, oh, my grandson or so-and-so, Johnny so-and-so, he wants to become a Navy SEAL. Will you talk with him? And I'm, of course I'll talk with him. I'd be more than happy to talk with him. And I often spend the first, I don't know, however long trying to talk them out of the process to say this is terrible. It's not fun. It's not like the movies. There's war going on. This isn't like, it's not what you think it is. You probably are not going to make it through the program. And so there are guys who are very humble that I really don't mind working with. They're like, well, I just feel really compelled. Like everybody's trying to talk me out of this, but I really have this desire and I don't know what will come of it. It's like, okay, I'll work with you. But then there are the young men that come up and they say, I don't care about those other guys. I'm going to make it no matter what. I'm like, dude, that's not how the stats look. <laughs> like, statistically speaking, I said, well, we started with 180 in our class and 12 of us made it through. So the odds of you making it are not that good. Well, that's the other people. I'm special. And that doesn't matter what, hey, God told me I'm going to make it through this program. And right, I look at him and say, I didn't know I was going to make it on the program. And the very last day when I was leaving San Clemente Island to fly to Coronado to graduate, I still wasn't sure that I was going to make it through the program. How can you be so sure not even having enlisted in the Navy yet? Well, I just know I'm better than everybody else. It's like, well, good. Best of luck to you, buddy. Like, I'm not going to meet with you anymore. That's the sort of the mentality. When I see Peter, Jesus just says, hey, you're all going to be scattered. The creator of the world just quoted Old Testament prophecy saying they'll all be scattered. Peter says, not me. They're like, what? Hey, Peter, how can you be like, I don't know if it's pride. I'm sure that he had a love for Jesus. He thought more of himself, but he, like he's, tr- like he's trusted in his own flesh. He thinks that he'll be able to endure. And if there's a lesson in today's story, like what I see of these guys, it, it if you at any point in your life, you're trusting in your own flesh and your own ability, capacity to endure for Christ, you're, gonna, you're going down a dangerous road. But back to Jesus. I love Jesus. I, I, I love how Jesus handles Peter. He's so patient with him. And, and Peter, after the execution, after the resurrection, he, he would be a totally different man. So Peter says, I don't care if all these guys fall away, I'll never fall away. And Jesus says to him, truly, I say to you that this very night before a rooster crows, 
you will deny me three times. Now, I have no idea where the rumor started that roosters only crow at, like, daybreak. (laughs) Now, we live in Valley Center. I've had a few roosters that haven't survived our our relationship. Um, And then, oh, you know, they develop, and you're like, oh, that one's really pretty. And the kids are like, oh, that's really nice. It's like, that's not, that guy's not going to survive very long around here, but the kids fall in love. It's like, oh, well, we'll try to make it work out. We'll try. Those things crow all the time. It, and it's like, okay, it's two in the morning. We're going to have to deal with this. And so we don't need to deal with how I dealt with my roosters. But there was a saying amongst the Romans in Jerusalem about the roast, roosters, how they would crow at all hours of the night. There was a thing. And in our, our minds, we're thinking Jesus is saying, Peter, you're going to make it all, by the time morning comes, you're going to deny me three times. But what Jesus is kind of saying is like, you're not going to even make it very long before denying me three times. Like this is a very pointed um, condemnation towards Peter. He says, truly I say to you this very night before a rooster, one rooster in the whole city of Jerusalem, before one crows, you will have denied me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples with Peter, Peter wasn't just alone. They were all coming saying, yes, Jesus, we'll go to our death. And as this scene develops, I mean, Peter's going to pull out a sword. Clearly he was a fisherman, not a swordsman, tries to cut off a guy's head. He cuts off his ear, misses like he has some passion. But as the story develops, that passion is going to turn into fear and it's going to turn into hiding that by, by the end of this chapter, Peter is going to be a broken man weeping after to a little girl using profanity to try to distance himself from Jesus. So they're all there. They're saying, Jesus will die for you. And Jesus says, you guys don't have a clue what's coming. And then in verse 36, we we see that they arrived at a place called Gethsemane. Now in Israel, of all the churches that you kind of visit, I, 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 with my background, I have mixed feelings on the churches. Um, I, I like a lot of the churches. The Catholic Church has preserved a lot of the, the locations in Israel. There's a lot of places where you can, there's three different churches for one spot and they're all over the place. And it's like, none of the spots are probably right. But the Church of All Nations, it's, it's set at the bottom of the, um, the Kedron Valley. We believe historically that it's either the spot or very close to the spot. It's probably, it's probably one of my, my favorite churches to visit in Israel. Um, it's I'm trying to have some files. Here. I got in a lot of trouble in the Catholic church as a kid. Uh, I, my back of the hand had a ruler once or twice when I was in Catholic school growing up. And, and, uh, so I, I, I get nervous around Catholic churches sometimes. Um, but this is one Catholic church. They're really strict. And if you make any noise, it's shh. And they, like, they come at you to quiet you down. And you enter this place, and it's super dark purple stained glass. And so you walk in. It can be the brightest day outside. And you walk in, and it's just dark. And, and it, they do a really good job sort of casting the mood of, of Gethsemane. Like we normally do these tours in the middle of the day. I wish we could do this one in the middle of the night, like at two in the morning. 
Because there's outside, there's the olive trees. They don't go back to the age of Jesus' time, but they're like 1,800 years, so you're pretty close. I would love to wander those trees at 2 in the morning. And maybe the next trip I'll get a group and we'll sneak over the fence, but we'll probably get arrested. And that probably that. <laughs> but so you go in this church and it sets the, the mood of the feeling. See, Gethsemane, which we read here, this is, this is just a, two Hebrew words sort of put together and then transliterated into the English. It literally means the place of the, the olive press. Behind me, I have a, a, a kind of a bad picture. It's the best I could find on Google. Um, that, that had the resolution. This is one way that they would press the olive. This is why they know the location because the whole mountain was filled with olives. And so they would bring them down to the bottom of the mountain. And there's, there's evidence. I'm not saying this is the spot. This, this is just to give you an idea of a press. So they would load up all of the olives. Olives by themselves are worthless. Um, if you, if you try to eat a raw one, it's the most unpleasant experience that you could ever have. I tried it just, or you could try it yourself. Um, but they would load the bag up with the olives. And then this is one method that they're showing where they would put a heavy stone on top of the bags. And then they have sort of a, a, you know, a post with another heavy stone to the left there. Um, some of them, they would just have big square, like 2,000 pound uh, rocks that they would just set on the bag of olives. And this first pressing of the bag is where we get like the extra, extra virgin oil. The very first is the most valuable, but that rock would press upon the olives and slowly over the course of time, the bag would just begin to seep the juice. And then there's some grooves on the rock and they would collect it. And so this whole story of what's happening at Gethsemane, Gethsemane means the place of the olive press where the, where the weight of the stone it's crushing down upon the olives, producing, harvesting the value of these olives. And so there's a powerful picture here because the same thing is happening to Christ. That as he's approaching the cross, as he's praying, the weight of the world is bearing down on him. And one of the accounts, I think it's Luke, it talks that he's, he's, in so much agony that as he's sweating, that his capillaries, or the, I mean, that's not what it's saying, but it's saying that blood drops came out, that he sweat blood. But it's this, that the, the capillaries in distress, that his blood and sweat are being pressed out of him. This is one of those passages that all week, really months, I mean, I plan now, that this is one that I'm like, oh, there's a side of me that wanted to rush through this, but I forced myself to kind of take small seg- segments at a time. Th- th- this is one that the more I think upon and the more I study, the, the more I realize that I'm going to be at a loss of words to explain this passage. Um, it's easy to get on a sidetrack and to turn this into a message about prayer, which I'm going to guard myself from doing that. The message of this passage is not dealing with, I mean, prayer is in there, but the, the thrust of this message is not to try to convey to us that we're all horrible prayers and we need to learn to stay awake and to pray more and to do it for a whole hour. We could do that, but that's not like the thrust of this is if we walk away with anything that we would have a, a glimpse of the weight that is pressing down on Jesus 
heading to the cross. Um, when I started studying this passage, I realized that I'm not in uh, poor company with the difficulty of preaching on this passage. Charles Spurgeon said this concerning the passage. He writes, here we come to the holy of holies of our Lord's life on earth. This is a mystery like that which Moses saw when the bush burned with fire and was not consumed. No man can rightly expound such a passage as this. It is a subject for prayerful, heartbroken meditation more than for human language. I totally agree with him. And I hope that I can sort of get some of this into your minds that it gets down to your heart, that you're pondering the weight of what Christ went through for you and your sin over the course of the week, that you'd have some, you know, as I like to call some spiritual beef jerky to sort of chew on, to contemplate. William Barclay, he continues, surely this is a passage we must approach on our knees. And D.A. Carson declares as his death was unique. So also was his anguish and our best response to it is hushed worship that when we come to this, we should just walk away just sort of in awe of our Lord and what he has done on our behalf. And if you don't know him as your savior, my prayer is that you would be captivated by the love of God, that you would understand what he's done to bring you into relationship with him. As we progress through the story, the image of Christ being beaten that where he was whipped and they had uh, stones in there that would tear out his flesh. As we see the, the nails thrust into his wrist, into his ankles, as we see his life sort of uh, going out, those are images that are very easy for us to take in and to understand the brutality of what is happening to Jesus. Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion, like, you look at that and you're just sort of like, it's heart-wrenching. And while as important as those things are, I think that the most important is, is trying to figure out what did Jesus go through emotionally heading into this. And I think that this story here, it gives us some insight into his anguish. It gives us insight into the emotional turmoil that he was going through, going to the cross. Uh, what he mentally went through, his spiritual um, sacrificial love for us, what he was experiencing heading to the cross. And in many ways, this is, this is way weightier than, than this. I don't want to say this simple. I don't want to diminish from the cross, but the, the cross is brutal. But we go, well, he was God. That was easy for him to do, just go to the cross and have his life taken. But this gives us a behind the scenes of what he was experiencing. And so they arrive at Gethsemane, the olive press, and he says to his disciples in verse 36, sit here while I go over there and pray. So we're told that he has the 11 because Judas is gone. He sits them down there at the place of the olive press. He sits them down. Actually, he sits down eight of them and he's going to take three more with them. Peter, James and John, which it says here in Verse 37, and he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. It's sort of interesting to me. I don't, uh, other than, well, it's interesting to me. That's about as far as I can go. That he, he takes with him. These guys have special insight to things. They, 
They saw the transfiguration. They have seen the young girl raised from the dead. There's something about these three guys that Jesus takes them further than the rest of the other guys multiple times through his life. We have Peter, who's the oldest of all of the disciples. We have John, who is the youngest of all of the disciples. We have John, who is the last of all of the disciples to die. And then we have his brother, James, who is the very first one to have his life taken for following Christ. So but that's just interesting to me. Uh, hopefully it's interesting to you, but these three guys, they get to go a little bit further. And then as they get a little bit further, they're separated from the eight. We have Jesus with Peter, James, and John. And then we see Jesus doing something which is sort of, you know, the whole being like the term authentic and transparent. These are all very trendy terms, which I think are good terms, but I don't like anything trendy. Um, Like Jesus in his humanity, he then begins to pour out to these guys. Now, this whole section, our brains are too small, all of ours. I'm not trying to offend anybody. Our brains are too small to understand the hypostatic union of Christ, which means that Christ was fully God and he was fully man. And in one, he's 100% human and 100% God. the, The Bible makes it very clear. And so in his humanity, as he approaches these three guys, as he understands the weight that is about to be placed on him, he opens up with them. And he says, guys, I am in great distress. Look at verse 37. It says that he began to be grieved and distressed. And he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. And here Jesus is saying, guys, this hurts so bad. I'm like, I'm so heartbroken And the pressure of all this, I feel like I'm going to die just from the emotional anguish of it all. Now, none of us will ever go through what Jesus went through, but we all do have our valleys and we have our struggles. And I think that there is a very, like, like very low on the scale of what this passage is about. I think that there is a lesson here that as we go through our life, like I think that we think in our minds, you go to church, you're supposed to put on your Sunday best. You're supposed to uh, comb your hair, tuck in your shirt and sort of make it seem like everything's hunky dory. Even though you may have had the greatest fight with your spouse as you're shutting the door in the parking lot and you walk in, hey, I'm doing great. That's why Anna and I take separate cars to church. So that never happens to us. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but you know, you, you like, this should be a place where if you if somebody says, how are you doing? Like these three lovely souls, they got a, they got a, they got a whole, they're like, how are you doing? I'm like, I've had a good week, but my dad's like, he's an early set dementia and I've like been struggling, pulled them aside. And I just started bearing out with everything I'm going through. I'm like, sorry about that, but you asked and it's in the, you know, it's like, like, it's okay. Just say, I'm struggling right now. This is a place for the broken. This is a place where we come around each other and, and pray for one another. Like the closest thing, and now I'm like halfway thinking this is a bad example with Brian in the house, but the closest thing that I can, like, that I felt to like the agony that Jesus is going to back in December, going in for my surgery, the doctor says, hey, show up this date at this time. So you, you're like a lamb going to the slaughter. You check in at like 10 o'clock. I saw my surgery buddy back there laughing. It was first for me. I visited somebody post-op as I was going into surgery. She's in her hospital bed saying, it's going to be okay. They do really great. Like, you don't remember anything. So then I'm in the room. They strip you of everything. And you're laying there, and every nurse is, like, popping in the door, sort of like, 
is this it? He's like, no, 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 we're just, just making sure you're okay. It's got delayed. And it's like, a te- like that feeling of anxiousness. It's just terrible. And I was just going into surgery that wasn't a big surgery. Like, but this is the closest that I have in my brain of the anxiety that Jesus was going to, that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that he knew that the weight of all of the world's sin, past, present, and future, was about to be placed on him. And he tells his guys, guys, I'm in so much anguish, I feel like I'm going to die leading up to this. And he says, remain here and keep watch with me. Or did I get my, yeah, there we go. So, so remain here, keep watch for me. He's going to leave them. He's going to go a little bit further. One of the accounts tells us that it was a stone's throw away. So imagine how far you can throw a stone and that's about it. There's a range between us. But the weight of the, like, there's that worship song, here I am to worship. There's a line there that I think is profound. And the line goes, I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon the cross. See, we think it's, oh, it's a free gift. Oh, you know, if you people witness to you, if you're here and you're not a believer and you're here because somebody nagged you to go to church, which I know all about it happened to me. That's how I ended up here like, over the course of time. But that, oh, it's a free gift. It's a free gift. Oh, it's like it's free. So it's not really that big of a deal. But just because it was free, because it's a free offer, doesn't mean that it didn't come at a great, huge expense of Christ. And so now he has the three guys there praying. He goes a stone's throw away. And we begin to see his prayer to the father. Verse 39, he went a little bit beyond them. He fell on his face and he prayed. He's in agony. The other accounts tell us that this is the scene where angels come and they minister to Jesus in his time, this hour of need, that he sweats droplets of blood because of the pressure that is upon him. And he calls out, my father, that here Jesus that was there at the creation of the world has stepped into human form, fully God, fully man, pleading with the Godhead. If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Now, this cup was not like the last cup he had was a nice cup of red wine. I'm assuming it's red wine, but it's it's he had wine. This isn't wine. He's talking about the cup. If you follow the Old Testament, this is God's wrath. If this cup that I'm about to drink, the heavenly, holy wrath of God that is about to be placed on me, if there's any other way, let it pass. Jesus wrestling with the Father. Okay, I'm up for brainstorming at this point. <laughs> Can we make him come up with a system of good works? Can we maybe tweak the temple? Is there any, anything that we could do? that would get me out from under the burden of having to go to the cross. Like this is a pleading. If there was an alternate way out, if there was a way that Jesus didn't have to go to the cross at this point, he's pleading with the father. I'm open to ideas. If there's any way we can circumvent the cross, I'm, I'm all ears. But we see his yieldedness. He says, not as I will but as you, but as you will. And so we see this Jesus in his humanity. He understands that this is the idea. And even though in his flesh, in his humanity, 
that as much as he wants out of it, he recognizes that the Father's will is the most important. This is a beautiful picture of Jesus. While we will never be tempted in this way, Hebrews 4.15, which is the next book that we're going to go through, I'm super excited about it. I'm super terrified to teach through Hebrews, but I'm looking forward to it. Hebrews 4.15 tells us, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been... De- tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. What that means to us as we watch Jesus struggle, as we see Jesus looking for an out in his humanity. This was a real struggle. Don't, don't short stroke this like, Oh, he's God. It's no big deal. This is huge. Jesus is submitting himself in his humanity to the, to the will of God. And he recognizes it's not about him. It's about God's greater plan. And so the the story moves and he came to his disciples. And he finds them snoring. They're out cold. Who knows what time of the day this is. We know that it's nighttime. As he came to his disciples, verse 40, and found them sleeping, he said to Peter, so you'll go to your death for me, but you can't even stay awake for one hour for me. Like you men could not keep watch with me for one hour. Keep watching and praying that I think that there's a huge phrase here that I think is a great point of application for us that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Like when we look at this verse, It'd be very easy to turn this into a prayer thing, but I think if we take this onto a prayer thing, like first I'd want to focus on Jesus's example of praying. I think that the emphasis that Jesus is saying, pray and wait and watch and be with me. What he says is you guys, you need to understand that in your spirit, you could really desire to do great things for God, but your flesh is terribly weak. And if you rely on your strength, you're going to be in trouble because your only hope is in me and in my work on the cross and the spirits guiding and leading you. I mean, it was just a few verses earlier that they're all screaming that they'll go to their death. They'll do anything for Jesus. And all he's saying is like, okay, just can you guys stay awake for an hour and pray? And so often I think we make these great promises to, you know, our spouses and to people. Oh, I'll go to my death for you. It's like, oh, I just want you to be faithful in the small things. Oh, well, that's so much harder. Can I just die for you? Can I? I think there's a lesson here that if you want to be a disciple of Christ, that means that it takes discipline. That to, to get up, to read your Bible, to pray, to seek God. I'm not saying that these are works that get us right with God. But I can tell you that if I take my hands off my spiritual steering wheel, there, I'm not going to get more spiritual <laughs> I'm going to go the way of the flesh. And that as much as I love Jesus, as much as I want to honor him with my life, it takes, it takes discipline because my flesh is like terribly wicked and terribly strong. And it's so good at leading me astray. And so now he goes back the second time, verse 42. He went a second time, and this is going to repeat three times. He went a second time, and he prayed, saying, now the prayer shifts a little bit. He says, my father, 
if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be, be your will be done. There's this, there seems to be in Jesus's prayer that by the time he gets to the second prayer, that he's come to terms with, this is the only way Hebrews uh, 10, four tells us that the sacrifice that was required was not of bulls and rams, but it was the perfect, the ultimate sacrifice and that Jesus is the ultimate Passover for us. And so here, He's no, he doesn't seem to be wrestling with God or the father. If this cannot pass, unless I drink it, your will be done. So be it. Jesus, when he is taken into custody, it wasn't against his will. He gave his life for us. It was not taken from him. He walked into the eye of the storm. He willingly gave his life for us. And again, he came and found him sleeping for there. Eyes were heavy. And I'm not going to take this opportunity to like harass them because I would be totally asleep if I was them. I've done enough graveyard shifts to realize that I'm terrible at them. And so then we're told that he left him in verse 44 and he went again and he prayed a third time saying the same thing once more. Then he came to his disciples and he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. He must know that Judas is on the way with the soldiers. He knows what's about to unfold here. When I look at this story, I, I hope to leave us with, with something to ponder, something to contemplate this week. I'm sure on prayer, like when we look at Jesus's prayer, we see that it it enabled him, it strengthened him. It gave him the resolve that he needed to get through what he was about to endure. We see that through prayer, his will was conformed to the fathers and all of these things are true for us. But what I want to end with is a story about the love of a father, which I think ultimately is the message of this section of scriptures that we would walk away in awe of God's love for us. So this guy, Tim White, he shares about an experience with his son. In the first 15 years of his life, our son Ryan had over 30 surgeries. When he was about eight years old, he was in the hospital for another surgery. The medical staff had already given him the quote-unquote Barney juice, a purple liquid with something like morphine in it. The medical staff then began to roll his surgical bed to the operating room. As usual, we accompanied him to the two big doors that led to the place of surgery. This is where we stopped and told him that all would be okay for the last time before surgery. This day, as we got to the doors and they opened, he sat up in the bed, looked at me in the eyes and pleaded, Dad, don't let them take me. At that moment, my heart was broken. I would have done anything to take him out of that bed except for the fact that he had to have the surgery. That knowledge didn't ease the pain in my heart at all. I just stood there trembling as the doors closed and he disappeared. That is when I broke down into tears. Shortly after, when I was asking God how such a good love could hurt so much, I realized that he had gone through the same thing. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, Father, If there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. 
translated into the language of a child. Daddy, don't let them take me. I allowed the surgeons to take my son for his own good. God allows the crucifiers to take his son for our good. That is how much God loves us. It has been said something is worth what someone else is willing to pay. Christ's willingness to give his life shows the value he placed on us. And Father, we do thank you for this great love that you have demonstrated for us. Father, we confess that so often we look at the cross and we take it lightly. Father, I pray that this week as we go about our days that you would help us to contemplate the great weight that Jesus bore for us. Nothing made him do this other than his desire to bring reconciliation between us and you. And so, Father, I pray for those in this room who maybe don't know you as Savior. Father, that they would understand that you're a God who loves them, that you're a God who made a way for them to get right with you. Father, I pray for each person that is unsure about their salvation, that you would help them to place their faith in you and that they would receive eternal life. And Father, for those of us who have believed, Lord, I ask that you would help us never to look at the cross sort of half-heartedly, that we wouldn't take it lightly, Lord. Father, help us to feel even just a glimpse of the weight of the cross. Help us to see how terrible our sin is and how terribly it separates us from you. Father, help us to understand your holiness, your grace, your love for us. We thank you that you would send your son Christ to die for us, that we might have life with you. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.